0: Somebody else warm? Okay. Makes me feel better. It's not just me. Um, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73. I could not remember, and it's very likely that I had um, shared from this particular Psalm before, even here. Um, If you've been here long enough, and listened, if I did it, in fact share from that psalm that day, you may remember, but um, how many times have I had to listen to a sermon on the same passage to finally hear it? So, uh, not afraid to speak from God's Word, even if I've done this one section before, but this was the passage that has been very much on my mind, even before Jason asked me to preach for him today. And uh, we will hear from uh, the Uganda team. Did we get that video pulled? Okay, we've got a video to show with an update. Um, so some of y'all may be wondering, like, why didn't he say anything about Uganda team? Like, well, one, um, I may not be, have all the information. Um, I don't have a direct line there with all kinds of stuff. If you're following the Facebook page, you probably know more than I do from the Uganda mission team page. Um, but we'll hear directly from them at the end of the service how things are going and um, get to see that video together. Um, So this morning, I just want to dive straight into the Bible um, for a little bit. Uh, Watching the time, I I will try to do so. And um, I pray that God will do something with this. The... uh, the fact that we're in a new year, 2024, is baffling to me because I still am waiting for somebody to show up at my door one day, hand me some kind of a certificate that says, congratulations, you're an adult. I don't think it's happened yet. I'll be 43 this coming year. I know some of y'all are like, oh man, how did I think he was that old? And then some of y'all are like, you're just a baby. Wherever you are on that spectrum, whether I'm a baby, still have yet to, to have a lot to learn, and I know I do because I still feel that way, or if I seem older to you than what I let on because I act like such a big kid, um, the new year always hits with a particular pause, right? I mean, it's, it's just kind of, it's in our culture, the new year's resolution. How many of y'all have one? Oh, it's, is it failing now in its trends? Nobody's... Had, you've got to... Vote. Okay, so i got one person. I've got one. Anyway, there are... It just creates this way of thinking. New year, new opportunities, a new a clean slate kind of mindset. Lord, I ate like a pig through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and January 1st, I'm having a salad, First salad I've had since July, you know, whatever. But, um, but Lord, I'm going to do better. This, the, the new year carries with it this idea of wanting to do better. Um, and so whether you want to be thinner, want to be wiser, want to be kinder, want to make some money, whatever you want to do with your new year, I want to challenge you with one thought that the, the thing that I'm going to share with you in just a second is the only resolution you'll ever need for the new year or for any day of the year. And our focal verse, even though we're going to look at the whole psalm, is verse 25. Psalm 73, 25, um, look at that with me as we begin. Psalm 73, verse 25 says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Speaking of God. I I venture to say that's the only resolution you need. If that were your primary resolution every day, I would hesitate to get in your way because God is going to do some amazing things in your life. Now, they may not be big and flashy things. They may not be things that you sit at the table with kings and princes and, and nation leaders But it's just the fact that God takes a heart that has him set as its preeminent and does great things. Because as the verse suggests, there is not a want for anything else. So there is no... I mean, how much for a person like this, you ever heard the saying that everybody has a price? You ever heard that saying? It's one of the saddest things in movies, as I watch them, when you watch and you're into the story and there's something nefarious going on and you're getting into it and you're like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to find out who did wrong where and they're going to be brought into the light and justice is going to prevail. The good guys are going to win. The bad guys are going to lose. And all of a sudden, the one person you thought who was good in the movie was on the take. They've been paid off and they're working against the hero. And that same feeling that I get right then is like, oh, why? What was the price? How much did it cost? But for the person who wants for nothing, needs nothing, can't be bought, they can't be bullied, they can't be bribed, they can't be swayed. I watch a lot of movies, so you'll hear movie quotes from me. But you know, one of the parts that I thought was the most most intense moment, and I'm sure you would agree if you've seen the movie, is in The Dark Knight when Batman and Joker share an interrogation room. Batman, with his grief-driven need to right wrongs in his city, But a line that he won't cross. He won't take a life. He'll beat that life to a pulp. But he won't take it. And the joker. Who wants nothing more than to see it burn. Can't be bought, bullied, or swayed. And he says if you want to save one of them. You have one thing to do. And that's cross your own line. For me. You have nothing, you remember that line, you have nothing to threaten me with, nothing to do with all your strength. Do you remember that line? If you've seen the movie, I, I wasn't rooting for Joker in that moment, but I'm sitting here thinking like, man, that is what conviction looks like. And I could appreciate it. In that moment, in that scene, the conviction that was displayed. Because how many of us as Christians can take this verse and actually say, Lord, this is who I am. This is is my heart, my mind. These are my ambitions and my desires, my dreams, my drives. You and you alone. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, Lord, there is nothing on this earth that I want. That person cannot be bought by the world, swayed by the world, or bullied by the world. That person is a dangerous Christian. That person is the kind of Christian that makes the devil pay attention. I don't have grandiose thoughts, but there's one thought that I have every now and then. I don't think I ever get to it. But I always hope, look, Lord, make me the kind of believer that when I wake up and set foot out of the bed, the devil's afraid, not me. But Lord, I know I can't do that if, like the psalmist, I am distracted, I am envious, and I am enticed by the world and what it offers. This psalm to me has been one of the most influential passages of scriptures in my life. Every day trying, Lord, today let it be the day that I actually live up to this thing, that I desire nothing on this earth beside you. But more often than not, I end up like the psalmist. And we're going to read through this together piece by piece, getting back to the goal which is the resolution that we need not just for 2024 but for Monday through Sunday as we live every single day. And that's we have no other desire on this earth or in heaven save Jesus Christ alone. But listen to the psalm as he bears his heart. Think about as we hear these words the honesty of these, these, this confession. And how often... We want. I wonder, I don't know if you do, but when you greet a person at church, brother or sister in the Lord, how are you doing this week? How was your week? And the answer is consistently, fine, doing good, too blessed to be stressed. And I'm not saying you're not. That's very much a possibility, but there's always this part of me that like, that's like, I don't believe you because I want to say that I'm too blessed to be stressed, but I know the week that I've had. I went home to see my parents for Christmas and my mama gave me pink eye. I was so blessed. <laughs> and mom, if you're listening to this, it's, I know it's not your fault. You didn't give it to me. It's just that's the way it happened. But there was a silver lining in that. I had to go to the doctor and I learned while at the doctor about pink eye. My blood pressure wasn't high and I hadn't gained weight in two years. So I'm like, huh, that's a win. I chalk it up, it's a win. But I know the weeks that I've had. I know the days that I've had. I know the worries that I have, the anxieties that keep me up at night. I know the things that I want and ask God for that He doesn't give. I know the things that I did not want that God has given. I know the things that I've asked God that I could keep that He's taken away. And if we're honest... Like the psalmist, we can say this in verse 1. Truly God is good. We know that to be true. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But just think about this question. Have you ever thought that? Been envious of the world? Envious of those who don't seem to care about God. Now you may think, Jesse, you're talking crazy. Why would we ever be envious of that? Because we're human. Because we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's a reason these songs are written. Because we have a wandering heart. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned to his own way. Right? I'm thankful for this psalm for its honesty. This isn't one of those hallelujah, too blessed to be stressed kind of a song. This is a psalm that says, I know God's good and I know he's faithful. But if I'm honest, I struggle. If I'm honest, I hurt. If I'm honest, I am sorely tempted by things of the world. Not that I want for unholy things. I just want for some of the things that they seem to have. And again... He goes into the details. I love this. Listen to what he says. He's envious of the arrogant, for he sees the prosperity of the wicked. In verse 4, he says, they seem to have no pains until death. They don't care for anything. They're not shook by anything. They live their life Greedy, fat, and hungry, wanting for nothing because they take whatever they want, and then they just die. If anybody's got tissues, they would be much appreciated here in a few minutes. Um, He says, they seem to have no pain until death. Their bodies are, I'm serious about the tissues, y'all. Their bodies are fat and sleek. You know, you look at me and I know you see a, a fat and sleek body, Right? And you, you don't get here without a lot of hard work, y'all. I can't, the hours that I have put in, in sharing meals with Big Macs and Taco Bell and those kind of things. It takes a lot of work to look this fat and sleek. But the, the idea is, they don't go wanting, do they? There's a plenty. I don't miss many a meal. And neither do the wicked. They seem to have everything they want. They seem to be full all the time. They're not in trouble as others are. They don't seem to be stricken like the rest of mankind. Thank you, my dear. My lovely wife, Jenna, everyone. Thank you. They don't seem to be stricken. They don't seem to be bothered. I don't know if you know what it feels like to be stricken. Plagued, bothered, troubled, burdened, weighed, pierced, received a text from my mom about a cousin of mine in Tennessee who, after a stint in prison for drugs, had gotten clean and gotten out, and then has gone missing since Christmas Day, pierced for loved ones, Hurting for the lost. So what is he envious about? The lost don't care. They're not pierced. They're not stricken. They're not burdened. They're not worried. Because what else is there to live for? Just buy yourself something. Get over it. You want it? Go get it. You deserve it. That's the cry of the world. He says, sometimes I want that, Lord. I just want to go out and get the thing that I feel like I I need that I've prayed for, that you, for whatever reason, haven't given me. I'm envious of that. I'm envious because in verse 6, their pride seems to be their necklace. They, they just they walk around like they've just got it all figured out. I can't stand people like that. And for whatever reason, there's a part of me that I know emulates a little bit of that because no matter what store I ever go into, somebody always asks me where something is. Like I work there. And I'm like, I don't work here. Oh, I'm sorry. You just look like you knew what you were doing. I'm like, I wish I felt like I knew what I was doing. I don't, how do I look like it? But the pride seems to be their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. you ever met people that have no care whatsoever for who they hurt? Whether it's in retaliation or whether it's just to get what they think they need. They will lay waste to the and people around them. Because what they want is the most important thing. And our psalmist is envious of that. Verse 7, he says, I'm envious of the wicked and their prosperity because their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They do whatever they want. And for whatever reason, they get away with it. You ever wondered that you, you've heard people ask, ask the question this way a lot of bad things happen to good people? Right? Well, a lot of good things happen to bad people. This is what the psalmist is wondering. Why? Why are they at ease? Why are they confident and prideful and they don't care who they hurt and they're not bothered by who they hurt? When, Lord, I fret because I think somebody's mad at me. Like I've hurt them. And they're not telling me about it and I can't do anything about it. And I'm afraid to ask. They're not stricken. Verse 8, it says, they are so confident and so fat and their hearts overflowing so with folly. In verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They don't care. You ever... Some Again, not asking for a show of hands here. I'm appreciating the honesty of the psalmist and for the sovereignty of God and the providence of God to give us Psalm 73. But he says he is envious of the fact that these people, these wicked, these these people prospering in their wickedness, they speak and scoff with malice and they threaten oppression without any pangs without any strickenness, with no burdens, no personal convictions. He envies. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. You ever known people like that, so so confident in their own sin that they boast against God? Why do you believe in God? What has He ever done for you? Why do you keep believing in God after all he's taken from you? That was Job's wife. You're still holding on to your faith after everything that's happened? Our kids, our land, our possession. The only thing he's left me, left you with is me. <laughs> I always thought that was a laughable irony. God left him that woman. <laughs> Curse God and die. What a woman. But he says, I'm envious. They speak against heaven. Their tongue struts. They don't care what they say. But in verse 10, I want you to notice something. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault with them. So, not only is he struggling against those who are wicked because he's envious of what all they have, he also sees that many of the followers of Jesus or of the Lord in that day are turning to those people as icons. Do you see this in verse 10? Therefore his people turn back to them, the wicked, and find no fault in them. So not only is he envious of those people, he's finding, apparently everybody is because they're the ones that become the role models and the leaders and the ones that they are, they are um, epitomizing as this goal to reach. You love the Lord like that person, or if you just live your life like that person, you'll have wealth, health, and prosperity. God will heal all your ails. He'll fix all your brokenness. And if he doesn't do those things, then you are the one who is not doing X, Y, Z, or not given X, Y, Z. You are keeping God from giving to you because you, does that sound like the God that we know in Jesus Christ? God withholding from us His blessings because we don't deserve them. That ain't the God we just sang about. The God that we sing about and the God that we know and the God that we cling to, I pray, is the God that saw us in our sinful state, undeserving, unmeriting, and dead, and said, I will send my Son for them because I so love them. I will make them alive from their death In their their transgressions, I will breathe new life into them. Take out their heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. We didn't deserve that. But we're, we're tempted to believe the lie that the world gives. The wicked, they prosper. And if we're not careful, we'll be envious just like the psalmist here. He says, their people have turned back to them and find no fault with them in verse 11. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge with the Most High? What good does it do you to follow after God? To spend your time reading His Word and praying and going to church. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, it's not doing you any good. They don't see the ROI. You know what that means? Return on investment. They don't see it. You put in the time and the work and you're giving and God's not giving back to you what you're giving to him. That is not what a relationship is defined as. You ever heard somebody describe marriage as a 50-50 relationship? That's baloney. Because if I give Jenna 50% and she gives me 50%, how much do we have? We each have 50 and it's not going to be enough. And I'm going to blame her for not giving me enough. She's going to blame me for not giving her enough. And she's going to start withholding. And before you know it, we're down to 40, 30, 10. And before long, we stop giving. And we end up at the lawyer's office saying, we are just irreconcilable. We are too different. We don't communicate well. We just don't get along. It's not worth the fight. And that's why marriage relationships are at a 60% decline, even among Christian communities. That's why God didn't give us 50% and say, meet me halfway. He gave us 100% of Jesus. He said, I'm coming all the way to you because you can't take a step toward me. Verse 12, he said, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in their riches. It's weird to think that he says he's envious of this, isn't he? But goodness gracious, I appreciate the honesty because if we're honest with ourselves, the temptation is great to be envious sometimes. In verse 13, this is where it results when he starts looking at the world too much and looking at the lost too much and looking at their worldly possessions and worldly goods and temporal ease. He starts looking at all of those things rather than looking at God and eternity. And this is where his heart goes in verse 13. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He said, has it been in vain Why? Why do I do it? Why bother? Lord, I have been praying so long for this, and it's not happened. Why why should I go to church today? There are people who are not at church today for that very reason. People who have been to church in days past, this church. Because for whatever reason, they've got God on this balance saying, Lord, I'll come as long as you... Pony up the goods. Yeah, he says, in vain I've kept my heart clean. In vain I've washed my hands and tried to be innocent. I've still been stricken all day long, and every morning that I wake up, I'm rebuked. He said, if I, had, if I had stood up to speak, I will speak thus. He said, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Meaning, even then, if I had stood up to say anything about it, it would have been lies because of where my heart was. Sometimes in the midst of this struggle, we don't talk about the struggle. We want to stand up and say, God bless, you know, doing good, everything's fine. When in our hearts, we're in turmoil. We rob our brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to pray for us and with us and walk with us through that valley because we're not honest enough to talk about it. We feel like we're going to get shunned. And sadly, oftentimes people get shunned in church. It's, it breaks my heart when it happens. Somebody comes forward and confesses a sin, brings it before the Lord, brings it before the church and says, I need Jesus to help me. I need you to pray with me. And Jesus loves them and we turn our back on them. I would never do that. Lord, thank you that I'm not like these other people who don't do those things. This is where he was. In verse 16 and 17, this is where we have to make a turn because if we turn don't turn and don't realize what needs to change this is a struggle that can take hold of us this is a struggle that can absolutely deflate and and pierce deeply like creating sorrow and grief to the point where we just we can't reconcile it we can't understand it and he admits that he says when I when I thought how to understand this in verse 16 it seemed to me a wearisome task meaning no matter which way I cut it this cheese just stinks go and laugh angel I know you've cut into some stinky cheese before you ever had like like a really good, like sometimes you in the springtime it's coming, y'all. Bradford pears, I hate them. Sorry. I really do. But every time I walk out in the spring and a Bradford pear is in full bloom, it always reminds me of two things. One, somebody's got really bad gas. Or somebody's got some really good cheese. But he says no matter which way I cut this, It just stinks. I can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. There's not an aha moment that I can find in trying to figure out why I am stricken and the wicked are not. Why I am struggling and why they seem to be living the life that they just always wanted. Why I'm here waking up every morning rebuked and they're living their best life now. I can't understand it. Now we need to come to this realization. You're not going to. You can't understand it. It makes no sense from an earthly perspective. Even Paul said that. Those who are not spiritually appraised don't understand these things. They're not going to be able to wrap their mind around the kind of grace that God gives us that's not earned. They're not going to be able to wrap their mind around the riches that we have in Christ simply by accepting him as a free gift. And then not working to keep him, but working to thank him. It's not going to make sense to the world. He says, but it does make sense when you alter something. Verse 17, until, this was troublesome to me, wearisome to understand, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned. When we come to the house of the Lord, when we come to the word of God, He grants us perspective. He grants us sight to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and know. He says, Lord, I was so caught up in looking at the here and now in the people's lives, in my life and in their life, and by comparison, by looking at them, it seemed like they had the better end of the deal, that I was getting the short end until you corrected my perspective and got me to stop looking at them and looking at you and eternity. And then look at this realization in verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by sudden tears. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes people that you look at and it seems like they've got everything together. I saw this several times in a previous church where there was a family in the church and it seemed like that was one of the stronger families, like a solid family. It seemed like God really had a hold of that family until daddy died. I watched families drift fall and break apart because the one person who anchored them was gone and they lost it in that moment i realized that the family was made better by that father but they weren't leaning on jesus they were leaning on him and when he wasn't there they were they were done many of them quit coming to church why bother daddy's not there many of them go off and do their own thing why bother daddy's not here to know They they lived their whole life in the shadow of this person, but once that person was removed, there was no cross, there was no Christ, there was no life beyond that, and that's hard to see. You set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, they're destroyed in a moment, utterly swept away by terrors. Like a dream in verse 20, when one awakes, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pierced in my heart or pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. Lord, I was like a beast toward you. Think about the honesty here. How many times have we gone before the Lord with a burden on our heart, but not really a burden that glorifies him? It's a burden that we want. And we go to him saying, Lord, I don't know why you won't or why you didn't or why you can't or what's going on. And we, we, we kind of throw it all back in his face, growling and snarling and just saying, God, why? And he says, Lord, I, that's exactly what I was doing. I was embittered in my heart because I was looking at the here and now instead of looking to you. I was looking at worldly possession rather than eternal hope. And Lord... I was wrong. Verse 23, Nevertheless, Lord, despite my brutish ignorance, despite my beastly behavior before you, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I love phrases like that in the Bible. It is not our hold that keeps us close to Christ. It's his hold on us. You guide me with your counsel. You, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Lord, nevertheless, despite my ignorance, despite my struggling, despite my, my fall back into a worldly perspective, Lord, you have been continually with me. You have been the same. You have held me. You have guided me. Your word has not changed. And afterward, Lord, you will still receive me to glory. Even when I struggle with you, Lord, you are faithful. And it's upon that realization, when all else fails, even when his own heart fails him, and he is struggling before the Lord because he doesn't understand the current predicament that he's in because he's looking at the world and not looking at God, he sees the faithfulness of God and he cries out, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. That's a long way to come, isn't it? from being envious of the fatness and the sleekness of the wicked, being envious of the ease of their life and the the vastness of their possession and the lack of concern and care they have for others and the disregard they have of who they hurt, being envious of all those things to saying, Lord, I don't want any of that. I just want you because I perceive the end. Lord, in this world we may have struggle. And Jesus gave us that, but that's a promise I never hear people say, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, he says, why? I've overcome the world. I don't hear people claim that trouble. Lord, today, I claim all my trouble in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not what we do. But we should, because all of that trouble, no matter what we face in this life pales in comparison to the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness of a holy God who sent His only Son. You ever wonder about that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So the question is, Are we looking full into the face of Jesus Christ today to begin 2024? Are we looking full at His wonderful grace? Grace that we didn't earn and don't deserve. Because when we focus on Christ, the earth dims. And this is what the psalmist is realizing. When I came into your house, O Lord, then I perceived therein. I saw my own heart. I saw my sinfulness before you. I saw your faithfulness despite myself. Lord, why do I want for anything besides you? He says, Lord, in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to those, to anyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. That's our resolution, y'all. The nearness of God is our good. Yeah, but what about your 401k? Don't have control over that. You You can have... two million dollars in your 401k right now and something could happen tomorrow and it'd be worthless what about my house i got that paid for yeah that's good tornado termites fire airplane falling out of the sky i'm not a doomsday kind of person y'all but the reality is there is no security in this earth everything in this earth will perish including us one day we will come to die. A disappointed man wants to die and then the judgment. But for those who are in Christ, we don't fear the judgment because we have been forgiven in Christ. That's our hope. Our eternal hope is in Christ because we know that nothing on this earth will prevail. And even if you get to amass great wealth, read through Ecclesiastes, even if you amass the wealth of kings, one day you will die and all your wealth will be right here left to rot, rust, rust and be misused. Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on this earth. As for me, the nearness of the God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Despite whatever comes up in this year, no, no agenda in any entertainment group or media, no political movement or administration, no law that is passed, no calamity that could defile you, no economic crisis that could cripple, no physical ailment that could rob you of your strength can remove you from Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8 talks about, right? Right? I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, if we want the kind of confidence and security that comes in verse 25, we have to come before the Lord like that every day. Lord, today I need you. Today I want for nothing but you. I know today temptations will arise for me to want what this world offers. But Lord, like Jesus in Satan's face, I pray that I can say the same thing. Get behind me. I already have my one. I'm going to finish with a prayer um, by a guy named Saint Ignatius of Loyola. I don't know where that is. But I love this prayer, and I want to close with it. And as we close, we're going to, to go into a moment of response. Um, there's going to be a song that plays during our response time. It's going to be a few minutes, and y'all permit me just a little bit extra time today. Um, I wanted to share my heart in that. Like I said, it's been something I've, every year, at the beginning of the year, throughout the year, I pray this is my wrestle. Lord, whom have I in heaven but you beside you? I want nothing on this earth every day. I thought, what better way to start the year? Um, But after I read this prayer, we'll have a time of response. Um, If God has brought anything up to the surface of your heart or your mind that you're wrestling with, like Asaph, the psalmist of 73, bring it to the Lord. Lord, there's nothing magical about this step. Walking forward and kneeling at this step won't fix it. You understand that, right? But you know what it does? It lets your brothers and sisters in Christ know that you need prayer. It lets us know that you're carrying something. And you may not want to share what that is, and that's fine. But there are a great many burdens that are carried unnecessarily for want of just a little bit of cooperative prayer. Bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you'll fulfill the law of Christ give us that opportunity. Let me read this prayer and then our song will play. And after the song, I'll, um, we'll, we'll switch over to the video. After the song, just switch over to the Uganda video. And then after the Uganda video, we'll, uh, we'll be finished. Accept, O Lord, my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, my will, All that I am and have, you have given to me, and I give it all back to you to be disposed of according to your good pleasure. Give me only the comfort of your presence and the joy of your love. With you, I shall be more than rich and shall desire nothing more. Let's pray. Lord, as we respond, God, I pray that you work in our hearts through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.